The following is a conversation with Fraser Penman. Fraser is a qualified hypnotherapist, a hypnotist, and also a mentalist. I have literally seen this person, this man, turn people into sprinting washing machines on stage. It's incredible. Now, in Fraser's younger years, he went through a ton of adversity, and that made growing up pretty tough. He faced times of depression, and he's very open and honest about those times and how he used his talent to recover from those times. In this podcast, you'll learn a lot about the conscious and subconscious mind, how you can hypnotize yourself to be better, to go on that diet that you want to go on, or stop smoking cigarettes, whatever it might be, this can really benefit you. And I genuinely will be taking some of these learnings away with me. There was actually an experiment as well that's done with me within this podcast, and you guys will be privy to either listen to it or view it. And to be honest, guys, it took a really, it took a lot of convincing to to get into this experiment because I was quite nervous. I really hope you guys enjoy this episode of the Into the Mind podcast. My name is Harrison, and I hope this helps. Fraser. Harrison. I literally saw videos of you turning people into washing machines <laughs> and making them race. Uh, we're going to get into the nitty gritty soon and you've got an experiment laid out for me, which I'm very nervous for, but but where did it start for you? How did you get into this kind of mentalist uh, style and experience? Where did it start? Yeah, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Very you've welcome. had some amazing, extraordinary people sitting in this chair, so I'm very blessed and thankful to be in this position. So thank you for reaching out and having me on. So yeah, my story, um, I was a boy growing up at East Kilbride. And went to a mainstream school like uh, anybody else. But like any other eight-year-old boy or five-year-old boy going through life, my story on my journey was a little bit different. So being albino or having albinism, the uh, genetic condition that's for lifelong, leaves me with bright white hair, as you can see, and a, a visual impairment. Off of that, I'm also dyslexic and I have a thing called nystagmus, which means your eyes kind of flutter, which doesn't change your vision, but can just be aesthetically displeasing, if that makes sense. And growing up, um, going through primary school, kind of the late 90s, early 2000s, society wasn't accepting or as accepting of people with disabilities and looking a little bit different. So I got quite a hard time growing up. Um, From about the age of eight, I remember getting text messages on my phone saying that, People hate you. It was just the Nokia phones at the time, yeah. mind you. Um, people hate you. They dislike you in school. I used to sit on the bench myself and remember having lovely 10 people around me singing a very, he's a jolly good, mm-hmm. not such a nice name around me. And I used to come home every day. My parents brought me up to be very kind and treat people how you'd like to be treated. So I would always make sure that I was trying my best at school, but I was always left with this outgoing frustration and anger and kind of feeling of lost and I kind of carried that through into my early teenage years and experienced things when I say school I still mean at primary age probably from about 10 to 11 going into kind of first year at school I used to walk down my local community and people that didn't even know me would shout sheep or albino or vampire or why is your eyes red and trying to teach a 10, 11, 12 year old that that's not what you are is kind of quite difficult. So it's mm. try- me still trying to understand my condition at such a young age 
while trying to fit in with society. It was a very hard balance growing up. Going into about 13 to 14 years old, I got attacked off around about 15 youths um, and kicked down a bunch of stairs. And that was my kind of wake up as in, I don't really want to be seen in society anymore. Mm. And I took the decision at age 14 to start wearing fake tan, start dyeing my hair bleach black, dyeing my eyebrows and wearing makeup every single day. Refused to leave the house without it. Um, my mum and dad actually got me a puppy because I wouldn't leave the house. I wouldn't socialise yeah. anymore after being attacked. And even walking the dog and, and going out, I went through my kind of teenage years growing in confidence, but almost growing in this sense of false confidence. You see on social media with Love Island and all these other amazing looking people who are all airbrushed and you find out later on in life but growing up you think that's the normal and that's what you need to you need to look like and i'm sure a lot of people listening to this can resonate with this that you don't know it's all smoke and mirrors you don't know that there's a, a big production team behind it and all the cameras and everything else and you think i need to look like that to fit in and i did and i ended up going on an extreme diet of 500 calories a day for about six months and I was going to the gym six seven days a week and although I looked in shape I was inside absolutely unwell mm. completely unwell but I thought this was my new persona and it kind of left me with this almost an arrogance which looking back now I can see why some of my friends distanced themselves because when we go on a night out it's Fraser that would get the attention of the girls or it's Fraser that would end up getting everybody's number. Mm. But what they didn't realise was those relationships would never fulfil. They'd be, meet somebody on a night out, think you're amazing, but then you'd never go for the second date. Why? Because it's Wednesday and some of my roots have came through and I didn't have the confidence to go meet them, so then mm. I would ghost them off and I'd never have a solidified relationship. And the relationships that I did have... I could never accept that they liked me for me. So I always had this chip on my shoulder as to everybody judging me for how I looked. And I suppose even 28 years now, I can still remember clearly the day that I went to my very first concert. Um, about 15, no, I wasn't 15, I was about 13 years old. And somebody threw a pint of cider over my face because they thought I was so pale that I had talcum powder on my face. And even when wearing the fake tan and makeup, you never forget about the horror stories that you had growing up. And people can tell you, we love you for the way you are, you're better without it. But when one or two people saying you look better without all this makeup and tan, but you've had years of this bad experience and only had positive feedback for when you are wearing it, which one are you going to believe? So I mentally it affected me completely growing up. And where the kind of hypnosis and mentalism and all of that came into it was... I was, to give you a bit of background, I worked as a mental health support worker around about the age of 18 and then my brother runs his own martial arts company. So I went and studied as a personal trainer. I always enjoyed Taekwondo. Um, I did a lot of theatre and stuff when I was younger, but I lost the confidence again around about 12, 13 to continue that on. So I worked with him and I was teaching the students martial arts, but I wanted a career to help people. So I wanted to become a primary school teacher. So I ended up working as a early years education teacher, kind of kindergarten level. I don't know what we call it in the UK. Early years education, I suppose you could say. And I was doing a working degree um, in childhood studies to become a primary school teacher. And we done a presentation on what education meant to meant to us. And when we got the assignment, I remember thinking, 
this is fantastic. This is exactly why I joined education. The juices were just flowing. I knew exactly what I wanted to write, but I actually ended up unraveling a whole can of worms that I didn't expect to unravel. Mm. Um, it totally made me reflect on who I was as a person, what I was doing. I'd just been diagnosed as dyslexic. I'm around about 23 years old at this stage, by the way. So give a couple of years of working with the martial arts, then moving into education and going back to study. Um, I was 23 and when we done the presentation, I got diagnosed with dyslexia in the same week. And I just had this horrible reality thing of for the past seven, eight years, almost 10 years, I had been living my whole life a lie. I'd been having this confident persona that I was very happy when really for the past seven to eight years, I'd been crumbling underneath with confidence, self-doubt, self-esteem, hating the way I looked. Because none of that changed, although I still had this makeup and tan. And it's it's so common with people with mental health. The happiest people are actually the ones that are suffering. So inside, I looked like this happy person. Sorry, on the outside, I looked like this happy person. But on the inside, gradually grinding over time, over time, doing something that I wasn't too sure if I could do. And then I questioned, was I the person to lead people in education if I couldn't even motivate and lead myself and I had just bought my first apartment moving out um, as you do and when you first move out money's always tight so I didn't have the money to socialise anymore so I was going to work going to university and coming home and it was during the summer holidays from work because I was term time that things just gradually started to decline and people always say to me is mental health a thing that's overnight? For me, it wasn't. And I'm sure with a lot of other stories that, stories that resonate, it's it's a gradual process over time. You don't just wake up one day feeling horrible about yourself. It's a combination of things that have happened to in your life that gets you to a certain breaking point. And my breaking point was kind of over the summer holidays where the blinds didn't start to go up. Mm-hmm. Some days I wouldn't start to then take out the bins. Some days maybe missed washing and then some days it then led to not being able to get out of bed and one day blended into the next which blended into the next and so on and so forth to eventually that it got me to the point where I didn't want to be a teacher that's that's not what I wanted to do the only time I remember that I was happy or felt that I didn't have any confidence issues was being on stage when I was younger and I come from a musical background of playing guitar and piano and acting and I really really missed that but I thought my time's been too late. I thought anybody that wants to make a success of these things, you need to do it when you're 12 years old, not when you're in your early 20s. And I remember it was coming to the end. It was the end of July going into the August. And I remember having a phone call with my mum saying, you might know this, you might not, but I've been struggling. And in three days time, I'm gonna commit suicide. I've got a plan. I know exactly how I'm going to do it. And I don't want you to stop me. Now, the gut-wrenching, horrible feeling she must have felt for any mother to hear their child to say, I'm going to kill myself and don't phone the police. That's not what I want you to do. Let me do this because the pain's too much. This is what I want to do. For now, looking back, it was a cry for help. But for then, it was so selfish of me to put that on somebody else not only from a legal aspect um, how she took that information on that day I'll never know And my mum and dad have been my biggest supporters today but basically from that conversation 
she came round as you do and we, we had a big long chat and I just remember bawling my eyes out and just letting off eight years of bullying, frustration from myself, from everybody around me. I was angry at the world and for the first time ever I stopped feeling angry but I still wanted to commit suicide because I seen it as the only option out and I had a phone call with my brother that evening and he says what is it you want to do he said well, he first of all told me I don't believe you're depressed which if you're depressed <laughs> completely right. caught you off guard right um I was like what do you mean <laughs> I'm depressed I've got a plan <laughs> you know who are you to tell me that I'm not depressed but it was mm. the first time I'd MD had ever questioned it and a lot of people were then kind of tiptoeing the garden around me rather than addressing it straight yeah. to me but of course the rest of the conversation was filled with love and support um, but he basically said, said what, what do you want to do and I said I want to be a hypnotist what? I want to be a hypnotist now what nobody knew was for the past couple of years and growing up I was always obsessed with Derren Brown and some of the things that he done, some of the moments that he created. And like everybody else, I thought, this is all actors and stooges, and I want to find out what really goes on there. And he says, well, why don't you become a hypnotist? Well, I've just moved out. I don't have a lot of money. I'm in a full-time job. I need to pay the mortgage. He says, but you're telling me a million reasons to why you're not going to, but you're not focusing on the one reason as to you, why you should, and that's your happiness. And from that night, from studying hypnosis, I know that all hypnosis is self-hypnosis and the suggestions that I give, it's actually people giving it to themselves and you can do hypnosis on yourself. Now, in the past for the bullying, when I was growing up, I'd seen psychologists and I'd seen counsellors and nothing really resonated with me. And that night I thought, do you know what? What have I got to lose? You know, well, nothing worse can come happen of this let's just give it a go so that night I went to my bed and I gave myself one suggestion which was you are enough three simple words nothing less nothing more you are enough and the very next morning I woke up and I just felt this wave of inspiration shaved off all my hair <laughs> went back to a baldy tennis ball white head and I walked into the supermarket to go get my shopping and didn't care what I looked like for the very first time in years. And from that moment, I went back to work, took off my sick line, went back to work, started to rebuild myself, rebuild my self-confidence. I, while I was working full time, saved up to pay to get a diploma in clinical hypnotherapy. It took me two years, saved up of my own money. Then I started to practice and see clients. And what always interested me with hypnotherapy, coming from a personal trainer background, was when you're a personal trainer, you're not doing the work for a person. You're setting them the plan, and in the session, you're motivating them. Mm. But you're not actually doing You're not handing them a tablet. You're not doing anything special. It's, it's You're helping change somebody's mindset to get amazing positive results. And I had started to do that for myself, and that's what attracted me to the clinical hypnotherapy side because I'd always wanted to help people. And that gave me an avenue of really to shine. And it wasn't until I completed the diploma and I started to understand about the neuroscience and the neural pathways and how hypnosis works and how our minds work that I was like, this stuff actually works. This is amazing. This is incredible. And ever since then, I've been helping many clients ever since. 
And how the stage thing came about was my brother ran an awards evening and a few people had started hypnotising my friends in the pub, going out with my white hair, but mm. not being the obnoxious look at me, Fraser. I remember the first time I went back to the pub with my friends and I was just sitting there, just enjoying, observing what was going on. And they said, are you okay? I said, yeah. I said, what you don't realise is the person that you've been hanging about with for the past couple of years is not the real me. Mm. That was all an act. I'm not really mm. the extrovert that you think I am. I'm actually quite an introvert. And I started hypnotising people in the pub. And then people started to say, oh, could you do this party or could you do this event? And I was like, it's not a business, but yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. And uh, the very first time I'd ever hypnotised a, a group of people, because it was always one-to-one, -one, the first time I'd ever hypnotised a group of people was at my brother's awards night. And uh, he runs a big awards night for his see the students' achievements for the martial arts over the, the past year. And it was at a, a lovely hotel in Glasgow for six, 165 people. And I went, can I do a hypnosis show? And anybody with a business knows that it's so hard to give any control of any aspect of business over to somebody else. Mm. So I was very thoroughly warned. It says, you can get an opportunity, but if this goes south, you never do this again. Yeah. <laughs> and I went, it won't go south. And I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and I hypnotized people and the audience absolutely loved it. And then I... Got a few more bookings from there. Don't get me wrong, there were some awful bookings. I remember <laughs> doing a show where it wasn't advertised. There was a stroller going across the stage. People were still at the buffet, the pubs and the clubs. And yeah. that's when I really decided that I want to design a show and do the theatres and do the fly on cruise ships, 2,000 seat theatres on the cruise ships and start to be the next Darren Brown. But I wanted to create a platform where I had a USP being albino and having a disability and a lot of people in my field of work tend to be older in their 40s and 50s. So could you have somebody that works with influencers with this disability that has a platform to spread a positive message, but also to make hypnosis cool again, rather than just being yeah. the creepy guy with the swinging watch? <laughs> and here we are five years later, presented at conferences, performed in America, done my very first Edinburgh Fringe with multiple sellout shows, which is unheard of, and now we've got a UK theatre tour lined up. And I know I've just blabbed on, so I'm so sorry no, for, the, no, I, for the whole thing, but that's kind of where we are. <laughs> I find that incredibly inspiring, and thank you very much for, for, for being so um, open and honest. You normally find that quite a lot of the time, the best creatives have the most traumatic pasts, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it, it, it is kind of a, a common theme. Um, how much of this art do you think is about kind of gaining control back of your life because when i look at hypnotis you're you yep. are in essence controlling somebody else okay <laughs> well so a lot of people think hypnosis is mind control right mm. so they think that i put them under this spell they go into this trance of unconscious awareness and i can do with what them whatever i want because mm. i've put them into a trance it could not be further from the truth so i've been on stage with people that i give suggestions to and the way your mind works is you have your subconscious and your conscious, right? Your subconscious is a lot stronger than your conscious mind. When you're in hypnosis, you're in a high state of suggestibility when you go into that brainwave pattern. But what happens is if you do anything to a person that they have no interest in, dislike, or can cause harm to them, 
they their conscious mind will kick back in and say that's not a good idea. Yeah. So long as if it's fun and it's it's all the rest of it and stuff, yeah. And for self improvement, that's how hypnotherapy works, definitely. But been many a times I've been on stage and I say to somebody, when you wake up, you'll do this, and nothing's happened mm. because the conscious mind's kicked in and says, don't want to do that. So I see to the general public how it can perceive as mind control hmm. it can actually be further from the truth the the volunteers on stage have absolute control and that's what i love about this i always say to comedians it's like me going out on stage with no script yeah now i don't use actors or stages so there's no i have a set show plan that i want to go ahead but somebody might do something one night a certain way somebody might do it another way something completely different but nobody comes on stage without wanting to be there mm. when you ask for volunteers they're signing a subliminal contract that says i want to be here now anybody who wants to be hypnotized can be and i'll give you examples of how we actually all go in and out of hypnosis on a day-to-day -day basis but nobody's nobody's there nobody's been forced there nobody's been mm. told to do any of these things and yes it looks like this but all i'm doing is suggesting if they'd like to do it now if you would like to do it you will follow it and if you don't you don't yeah, that's that's interesting. So, what, what, <laughs> where's the line drawn in terms of what can and can't you make people do? And I'm asking this as a total dummy because I've seen yep. some incredible, hilarious stuff from you where you're turning people, as I said, into uh, washing machines. Right. Where's the line? Okay. So, the answer is it's a great area. It's yeah. a great area because one line to somebody might be somebody else's not line. You know what right. I'm trying to okay. say? So, one person's trash is another person's riches. So your mm. limits might be different to somebody else's limits. And that is the beauty of having people on stage. But to get to give you an insight as to how it works, because people think, oh, is hypnosis a big secret? It's not. There's no yeah. secret. I'll tell everybody exactly what I'm doing. That's why I don't do anything off mic or anything like that at all. So if you think about it, for example, I'm just going to do a shameless plug there for a show. <laughs> Say there was a show coming up, okay? And it was at a theatre. <laughs> and it's been advertised for months on end. So what happens is people start to hear the advert. They start to take an interest in it. So the excitement's already started to build. Then what they do is they purchase tickets. So the hard-earned money they want to spend on come to see an event. You would yeah. not spend money on something that you don't have an interest in. You see the posters on the night. You set time aside. You might go for dinner, drinks. You make a day of it or a night mm. of it or an evening of it. Then the audience fills. Half your audience either have an interest in hypnosis and want to see it, and half the audience are curious about volunteering but need to understand a little bit more about it. So if you have a room full of 500 people, mm. those 500 people want to be there. So that's step one. Again, if you want to be hypnotized, you have to want to be hypnotized. Step number two is I ask for volunteers. I ask for volunteers. You wouldn't come up on the stage if you didn't want to come up on stage. Mm. It's not like in the olden days where you're coming up and you're coming, it's <laughs> yeah. not how we work. We ask for volunteers. So then they walk on stage. Now to walk on stage in front of 500 people with the lights and all the rest of it, you want to be there because yeah. to the people that aren't performers, it's quite an uncomfortable feeling Anxious. being up there and having everybody looking at you, right? Mm. And then I go into the psychological process and I'm looking for microfilament movement as to how people respond and because anybody can be hypnotized, it's just to what degree. Now for stage, I don't just need people hypnotised, I need people who are going to be entertaining. So you might have somebody that plays the guitar like this, and you might have somebody that plays the guitar like this. Right. I'm going to keep person two because you're going to be entertaining for the show. That doesn't mean that you have any less limitations mm. or you're any less intelligent because people who can be hypnotised actually have a higher level of intelligence than the common person. You think about it. 
I'm asking you to focus and concentrate on one thing and eliminate everything else in the room. All hypnosis is, is focus and concentration and eliminating distraction. We use this in business for goal setting, smart goals. So if you look at any entrepreneur who says, my house is exactly how I visualized it, or I'm making as much money as I always said I was going to make, you're actually setting yourself goals, or I call it hypnotic suggestions. And what you're doing is you're avoiding going out to the pub with your friends and spending money and instead you might be investing money into your business and focusing on your goals so you avoid all these distractions until you get to where you want to be all the people on stage are doing is ignoring the laughter ignoring all the crowd using their imagination and focusing on what i'm telling them there's there's no difference mm. so we all do these things so everybody can be hypnotized it's just to what degree so so if i were to and don't hypnotize me but <laughs> but would you like to do something very quickly Yes. Oh, no, it's okay. okay. So what's, now, all I want you to do is just answer off the top of your head. Okay. Okay? This is the very most simplest form of hypnosis, okay? Okay. What's your favourite ice cream? Uh, vanilla. Excellent. Are you having it in a cone or a tub? Cone. Cone. And how many scoops are in that cone? Two. What colour is the cone? Brown. Brown. What colour is ice cream? White. White. Is it marbled? Is it glistening? It's probably glistening. Glistening. Fantastic. And when you're to stick like a spoon or a flake in it, what colour would that spoon or flake be? And what, what would you use? It'd be a uh, white spoon. A white spoon. Excellent. Yeah. And is there any sprinkles on top of it? Yeah, go on. Excellent. And when you take a scoop of this ice cream, what's it like inside? Is it marbled or is it still glistening? Still glistening. Excellent. Now you have no ice cream in front of you, right? But I bet you could visualise that ice cream perfectly right in front of you as you were describing it. Yeah. So what you've done, you've completely eliminated the rest of the studio and focused on this ice cream while we were talking. Yeah. Also, you looked up to the left, which means you were visualising. So I'm assuming you could see it out the corner of your <laughs> eye almost, but your eyes are open. Yeah. There's no ice cream that's there. Yeah. That's how it's done. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> how, yeah, no, no, now that I think about it, how does the training happen for this? And also, and also, there's this. Listen, I know this, but for the audience that are yep. sitting at home, there's there's me the mentalist part, mm -hmm. and there's also the hypnotist part. Yes. What are the differences, and what are the training for each? Perfect. Okay. So, hypnosis, I get the privilege of connecting with people on a subconscious level, hmm. on a deeper level, um, that kind of makes us stay connected. And without that connection, throughout the entire show, people would just come out of trance. So, if I wasn't constantly keeping a rapport with their subconscious mind. When I said sleep or whatever suggestion I'm putting in, they would go down, but they would just wake up within about three to four seconds straight after. Mm. I need to keep a constant rapport and a constant trust with that person. Mentalism is all about connecting with people's thoughts and me analysing people. So it's me communicating with people in a way that it's not so much the stories that we tell each other, but more so the stories that you tell yourself and your perception of that. Mm. It's then my job to dive into and connect with that and come up with some amazing miracles and experiments. Uh, so you're, you're essentially reading the person in order Mentalism to... is a lot of, I always say magic is sleight of hand, mentalism is sleight of mind. Now, yeah. of course, there's psychological techniques that I use to be able to get these answers, but a lot of the time it's connecting with people on a face-to-face -face level. Mm. Now, mind reading or whatever you want to call it it's a lot of picking up on microfilament movements it's a lot of body language do you know communication is actually only seven percent words the rest is all body language tone and perception really incredible right so if you think about it if you were to send a text message to somebody and the way you wrote it you can almost hear that person talking to you mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. if i was to sit here with my arms crossed you'd think i'm quite guarded i'm quite reserved 
if somebody's standing on stage like this, you think it's quite a strong, powerful stand. So you start to see your perception. And if somebody asks you something in a certain way, by their voice or tone, you can tell if they're happy, sad, angry. Mm. So as humans, we're observing and picking all these things up. I'm just doing it in an entertainment environment, yeah. if that makes sense. So I'm. it all happens very quickly, although it might look quite easy on stage. There's a million things going through in my mind. And the amazing thing about mentalism is it is an experiment. It's not like a magician where it's a trick. Things can go wrong. Mm. And that's down to me and how well I'm analysing and connecting with somebody. Chisholm Hunter are the sponsors of the Into the Mind podcast. And I am so thankful to Chisholm Hunter for believing in this podcast. They're a luxury watch and diamond retailer. And the brand, Chisholm Hunter themselves, has been going since 1857. That's over 165 years. It's world-renowned, literally. And they also have luxury watches. For example, the one I'm wearing today is from Chisholm Hunter, and it's a Hamilton watch. Now, they obviously do Tudor, Amiga, Vacheron Constantin, a ton of other brands. But Chisholm Hunter is the place to get your next luxury good. So if you're shopping for anything in particular, maybe for yourself or a loved one, head to chismhunter.co.uk. Now, back to the podcast. And when you're in the kind of, is it a, a university you go to to train for this? Or is it... So, uh, th- this is, a, so, stage hypnosis is unregulated to a degree. Mm. And the fact that there is courses and stuff out there, but nothing's with governing bodies. So the way I learn stage hypnosis or began to learn learn stage hypnosis was all self-taught by I was studying between five and seven hours a day and that <laughs> that was my enjoyment <laughs> if that makes sense you know so I was working a full-time job from eight in the morning till eight at night coming home studying from eight at night till one two three in the morning getting back up at half past six and I'd done that repeatedly for two years um, even before I hypnotized my first person at the pub and it was just, it was it became an obsession. So instead of watching telly at night, I would research YouTube on other hypnotists. I would start writing ideas now down in dreams and ambition. Um, and this is what's really nice about my show that's coming up because I have a letter for when I was 18 years old about what I dreamed to do. And this is the end of the show with some amazing things that come true. And this is why I'm so passionate about the show. It took so long to create. Yeah. We're delivering a deeper message, but... Jumping off track, going back to what you were asking was the stage side was a lot self-taught. I then started to, went down to London and done a course with a stage hypnotist, a weekend course, which reinforced what I already knew, which was really quite nice. Mm. And then the, the clinical hypnotherapy side is different. So you need to be a certified clinical hypnotherapist to call yourself a clinical hypnotherapist. For that, you need to get a diploma and that is completely regulated. And from that, there's case studies, exams, all different things. And that covers a wide variety of topics from neuro-linguistic programming to cognitive behavioral therapy, to psychodynamic analysis, to weight loss, chronic pain, anxiety, depression, sports enhanced performance. So there's all these different units that you must complete and mm. pass exams for and do case studies for and it's videoed and all the rest of it to get your diploma. But the good thing about then getting your diploma means you can get some nice letters after your name. Mm. Um, but also it means it now certifies you for insurance so you can now practice. There's a lot of hypnotists out there that will call themselves hypnosis for relaxation. They're not hypnotherapists. And I advise anybody 
that goes to see a hypnotherapist, make sure the first thing I offer my clients is, would you like to see my diploma? Would you like to see a full copy of my insurance? Yeah. Because you wouldn't go see a physiotherapist without seeing their certificates on the wall. So why would you trust somebody with your intimate mind, personal issues, without having the same reassurance that they're gonna look after you? Mm. And it's so important. And you wouldn't believe the amount of clients that come to me now and say, I've seen a hypnotist, but it just didn't work. And then I go through the consultation with them, all the regulations, everything else. Oh, I didn't do this with the last one. Yeah. Well, the odds are you didn't see a clinical hypnotherapist yeah. then. Um, and then they walk out the door after one session, complete difference. And that's that's amazing for me. So the, the clinical side of it, different. You need to study set exams for that. Stage stuff, it's all about self-taught. Now, I actually then, there's a very famous hypnotist out in America called Michael C. Anthony, and he created Stage Hypnosis University. And I studied with him for over a year, one-to-one, mentored by him personally, to help then learn how to understand stage hypnosis, how to then build a show, create a show. And I was also mentored by, and still am, a very famous hypnotist called Richard Barker over in the US. And these guys are mega stars over there. Mm. I suppose the American equivalents of Darren Brown. And they then helped me to turn what was a passion now into a business. Um, and it's for somebody that never had an ambition to run a business, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I remember my brother saying to me that if you're good at something, you tell the world about it. If you're great at something, then people tell you. And that's how all this started, by people asking me, could you do this party or could you do this event? And then the press jumped on the story and thought it was such a heartfelt well story. And before you know it, we're on radio and blah, 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 here we are today. So now what I'm learning is the business aspect of it. I love performing, but I didn't have a clue how to run a business. Mm. And it's the hardest thing in the entire world. The amount of financial, emotional, every kind of show (laughs) that you could think of to put into it. It's it's the hardest thing I've ever done. It's growing your baby, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. It's the hardest thing I've ever done and continue to do. But there's just this sense of doing what you love, you'll never work another day. I've Mm. never worked so hard for myself. And I remember we came back from holiday. We flew in at 2 a.m. By half past six, I was booking in clients Mm. because you you now start to think about it. I'm now trying to find a work-life balance, which is really difficult. Um, But I don't see it as work. And I've never been so, I've always been a person that if I put a lot into something, I tend to succeed at it. If I've not got an interest, then I just flunk it. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, my vision was to sell out a theatre. Didn't know how I was going to do it. Didn't know how much money. Didn't even know where to start. And five years later, I'm three weeks away from doing my first UK sold out headline theatre show. And that for me is massive. If people buy tickets. <laughs> and I'm sure they will. If people buy tickets. <laughs> I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. And I can, I, can, I can resonate with a lot of that. I think that especially when you're dyslexic, um, like myself and you, and I have HD, I, uh, anything that I didn't have an interest in, I would flunk. I didn't care. Yep. And there was no telling me different. Yep. Um, I was very stubborn in the fact that I don't care about this. Yes. But the things that I do care about in, I will hyper focus on. I'm the same. And, yeah. yeah. And I think that's probably what you've done in essence with your um, hemotherapy. Yeah. And I think the hypnotherapy aspect for it was that I, I love helping people. I love helping people become the best versions of themselves. And this is where 
corporate and motivative speaking and the hypnotherapy I get that fulfillment in. Mm. <clears throat> With the stage aspect, I love, there's no better drug than walking out on stage to a packed out crowd. And I think every performer has the need for attention mm. or they want to be loved and liked and applauded and adored. And I get that. But also to me, it's a massive fuck you to anybody that ever put me down and said I wouldn't achieve anything and said, do you know what? Just because you're different, look at me now. And if anybody else is listening or watching this and doesn't feel like, or they're at that position where I was, let success, let success be your noise. Yeah. People hate to see you succeed. Yeah. Go do it. Because you're the only person stopping you. Especially in scotland i feel there's and i've said this i think in another podcast there's a real stigma around success mm. and in essence it's because it makes other people feel bad yep. um when i first got into photography and video there was a, a i had a group of friends ex-group of friends and they said you know it's really really embarrassing that you're trying this you need to stop it so immediately i just kind of took the step to block all of them i didn't yep. want anything to do with them yep. and i went my own way and um and now i'm kind of like well you know, I've worked with some big brands, so they can't tell yeah, me. They're I'm messaging wrong. you now. Yeah, Still exactly. Still think it's a silly idea. And your work is amazing, by the way. I've I, obviously I work with some videographers, but very impressive. I was very, very taken back. It's awesome. I appreciate I think it's that. Killer. I appreciate that. Um, when you get this qualification, does it restrict you in any way from, for example, like casinos? Or ah, uh, can you count cards and all the rest of it? Is yeah. this where we're going uh, with this? Well, well, it's more like is this the, where we've lowered to? <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> well, it's, the, it's the mentalist bit. I mean, yeah, there, there's can clips. I float tables? <laughs> yeah, there's clips of Darren Brown and he uh, and he's at the bookies <clears throat> mm -hmm. and he slams in the window and he says, "This is the winning ticket." Yep, and it's not the winning ticket. Yeah, but they give him the money. Mm -hmm. And he said in that, "Listen, I used to do this when I was younger, when I was poor. Yep. but I no longer do it, and I wouldn't lower myself to that." Is that is that a thing that people see you in all of, uh, especially within those specific niches? There maybe all right. is a bit of a distrust. Let me let me flip this back. Okay, when you first started out video and recording, uh. and you maybe got that first big break where you had maybe a client or something that you thought this is way out my league. I bet leading up to that, you psyched yourself up that says I'm going to be in there as if I've been doing it for 10 years. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go in there for this professional thing. And when you start to pretend to be what you want to be, you develop into that. The very first time I hypnotised somebody was this... <laughs> crazy. Uh, <laughs> I was getting a haircut. Mm. I was getting a haircut and for some reason, barbers were talking about hypnosis. And I went, I'm a hypnotist. Mm -hmm. Are you? I said, oh, hi. Well, I'm a hypnotist. I've been doing it for years. <laughs> Never hypnotised a person in my life. Had probably done about six months research. Never hypnotised a person. Didn't have a clue. And they said, I tell you what, we'll shut the shop after this haircut and you can hypnotise one of us. Not a problem. Inside, dying. I was <laughs> dying inside. And um, so I'd done it. And now, I have a really good memory. So I tend to be able to look at things and take things in and remember it and keep it and whatnot. I don't know if it's from when I was younger and doing acting or I just seem to be good at remembering Natural. things. Yeah. Long term, short term, can leave a cup and forget it, but <laughs> it's okay. So anyway, so I'd been watching all these DVDs and all these hypnotic language pattern scripts and whatnot, and I'd, I'd memorised this one to the point where I almost sounded like the person. I was stopping when they were stopping and taking breaths because I, I'd analysed it that much. Mm. So I'm like, yeah, no worries, I'll, I'll hypnotise you, no problem. 
Um, and they wanted to be hypnotised. This is another aspect of it. They wanted to be. So I thought, right, that's on my side because if they want to be, the odds are they will be. More likely. Yeah. Um, so I'd done it. I, I'd done what I had to do. And then I went, sleep. And he dropped. I mean, dropped completely out. And on the inside, I'm like, oh my goodness <laughs> this works i felt like a superhero but on the outside i'm like yep the deeper you go the better you feel the better you feel the deeper yeah. you go and i was just completely blagging it the whole entire way yeah didn't do any suggestions i was just like right one two three wide awake and i was like there you go i told you i could hypnotize people and from that <laughs> aspect i was like well if we can do that and then it came to the 165 people i'd never hypnotized a group of people before yeah so i, I seeked advice from other hypnotists and again just learned it by the tea and it worked. And mm. I thought, if I can do that, I can do anything. Mm. Um, and there's some horrible, horrible gigs after that. Um, but you just give yourself the persona of that you act like that until you become it. Yeah. You described this process of you kind of doing the snap and him falling. Right. So you want to understand about the snap. Yeah. Or the, right. The, okay. The, 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 Go on, the, do it. The kind of... Do it. <laughs> I hope that makes the edit. Yeah. <laughs> Please put that in the edit. Okay, so the... Yeah. Yeah, okay. So you're just clicking. Now, all these are, is, it's called an anchor. Okay, right. it's just to give your subconscious mind something to focus on. Okay, mm. so if I'm giving you a suggestion. Now, for somebody that's never been hypnotized before, I will do a hypnotic induction. Okay, that's where I'm taking you from a level of consciousness down to a, wave, a brainwave pattern that puts you in high suggestibility. It's almost like that stage where you're kind of daydreaming. Okay, it's not quite sleep not quite there, highly suggestible. You still can hear everything that's going on around you. Mm. You're not unconscious in any way, but you are just so physically and mentally relaxed. Now, that process takes anywhere between about five and 10 minutes. Once somebody has been under, all this is, is a suggestion. So like you suggest somebody to be a washing machine, mm. I'm suggesting anytime you hear me say the word sleep, you will instantly and immediately fall back into that wonderful state of relaxation, which they can resonate with because they're in that state of relaxation. Yeah. So now I'm just anchoring a word to this state of relaxation. So when I wake them up, they're still under hypnosis. So until I remove all the suggestions, they're still under hypnosis. Now, people say, well, how can you be awake and talk when you're under hypnosis? Well, when you have a hypnotherapy client to stop smoking, they're technically under hypnosis, hypnosis for the rest of their life. But... We all go through stages of like this. If you work in an office, check it three o'clock on a Friday afternoon, look around the office. There will be somebody sitting tranced out their face like this, <laughs> waiting, looking at the clock, waiting to go home. Yeah. If you drive, have you ever got into your car at the same time, drove to the same destination and not remember driving there? Yeah. Where was your conscious mind then? And this is the best one that gets me. Have you ever been looking for your phone or your keys or your wallet or your pen? holding your phone, yeah. your keys, <laughs> yeah. your wallet, or your pen. It's called a negative hallucination. Your brain blocks yeah. it out because you're so focused on something else. Yeah. It's the same. Scrolling through TikTok. Somebody's shouting your name. You don't hear them. Next thing, the slipper comes over and hits you in the head. What was that for? I've been shouting your name for 10 minutes. Were you? Yeah. They're sitting right beside you. Your brain's so intelligent, it can block things out. So when they're in that state of relaxation, when I wake them back up, they're still under hypnosis. So now when I say sleep, they're just following the suggestion that was put in prior 10 minutes ago. And how do you relax someone? So you, uh, you describe this process of you first hypnotizing people at a mm -hmm. bar. Yes. A bar is quite like a busy, broody yep. place. Yeah, it doesn't how, matter. How would you uh, put, get them to be relaxed? Again, because so again, you just go through a thing called PMR, which is progressive muscle relaxation. So mm -hmm. you're just taking somebody, relaxing them from the tip of their top of their head 
to the tip of the toes. Very like a meditation. But again, this is why people with a kind of above average IQ are really good at being hypnotized. They block out all that distraction and focus on the sound of your voice only. Right, so they can home in on exactly what you're home saying. home in exactly what I'm saying. And that's why I caught you. Yeah. And has there ever been any, especially when you were first starting out, mm-hmm. has there ever been any big mistakes? I make mistakes I've, I've, all the time. Is, or, or has all anyone ever reacted negative, not negatively, but in a weird way? I to... was doing the Edinburgh, <laughs> I was doing the Edinburgh Fringe and I think I gave the suggestion to somebody that um, anytime they hear they say the word hypnotised, they would jump out their seat and shout, who's your daddy? And any time somebody heard, who's your daddy, they would stand up and shout, I'm your daddy. Mm. And somebody who ever heard say, I'm your daddy, would stand up and go, oh yeah. So it was kind of <laughs> like a, a progressive thing. And I remember going along the row and I was talking to somebody and, and do you think you're hypnotised? Crickets. Oh, nothing no. happened. Nothing. But you just carry on because that yeah. person obviously didn't want to do that. So you just put them back to sleep and try a different suggestion. Yeah. So, uh, aye, there's been absolute crackers. But also, there's things like... I remember it came to, we do like this dance thing where the, the volunteers trans transition to freestyle dancers and there's yeah. different music and stuff. And it came to the romantic section. And I said, it's the romantic section, find a partner. I got grabbed. Oh my goodness, I was getting bent over the lot. I was like, <laughs> didn't expect this to happen. But for the next night, positioned myself just near somebody and mm. then it repeatedly happened and it got a great reaction. So you could pick up these things as they go along, but... Oh God, that's the good thing about what I do. I'm the only one that notices when things go wrong. Mm. But as a performer, and if you speak to any high level mentalist, magician, hypnotist, you need to have your craft down so well that if something goes wrong, you've got a plan B, a plan C, and a plan D, Mm. you know? And when I'm going into, I I now deliver training for other hypnotherapists who are teaching the diploma, um, and I, the love of training at conferences and it's the same when I go into business I tell them that hypnotherapy or hypnosis or visualization and um, suggestion isn't the be all and end all it's just another tool for your toolkit so that if you find yourself that if you're getting bored of plan A or plan B or it's not working now you have a plan C and that's yep. what it's about it's not about saying that this is the only solution it's about saying here's another tool to your toolkit yeah yeah and what do you think is the most important you kind of go through this uh this process of trial and error so to speak so you do yep. do the show but then you might learn a little something in the way yeah <clears throat> what's the most important thing you've learned while on stage is there a little nugget of information that would help people um yeah for me as a performer the fringe was so i changed my show about probably about seven times in the first week mm. not so much that people would notice but just how i was setting up suggestions so it can be the difference of a word or a pause or two words to get completely different reactions. Now, mm. with hypnosis, you don't know if you've got doctors on stage, if you've got nurses, if you don't, you have no idea the intelligence level or the backgrounds or anything about your volunteers. So your suggestions need to be so easy to understand and straightforward that they know exactly what they're doing. As soon as something gets a little bit complicated or they don't know what they're doing, people aren't going to understand and if they don't Mm. understand it how can they follow it so that for me was amazing but also working the scottish crowd is actually one of the hardest crowds to get reactions see when you're in america they go crazy not not stubborn reserved yeah reserved i would say but on a friday and saturday night at the edinburgh fringe half your audience is pished (laughs) absolutely legless i had a hen do and so what i learned was to 
get rid of the people that I didn't want to be on stage because as soon as you lose control on stage, your audience is gone. Not is gone, completely gone. So mm. I now highlight that about the intelligence of people that can be hypnotized. So if you really are dumber than a bunch of rocks, don't come up here. So then if you've got somebody that comes up there and goes, ah, you can't hypnotize me. And I openly say it, if you don't want to be hypnotized, it won't happen. Yeah. Um, so that if somebody gets then up on stage and I send them back, they now feel a bit silly because I've said, oh, the people I'm keeping up here, are the people that try really hard are intelligent. So nobody now, that now takes away that barrier of, oh, I won't go up unless I really want to go up. So that the people I have on stage really generally want to be there. And I tell them that I'm not going to keep everybody. So now in the back of their mind, that herd mentality, oh, I need to make sure I get a spot on this stage. I mm. want to be here. So now they're trying hard. Oh, so that's important. So the herd mentality of other people are there and it's affecting other people. Mm -hmm. Do you think that has a social pressure that they're also... Yeah. So when I, again, Edinburgh Fringe, Fringe was brilliant. <laughs> um, at the Edinburgh Fringe, people were coming up on stage with pints of beer and bags. Yeah. Now, to me, it never, because I'd done shows and events that people just came up themselves i'd never experienced this people come up with pints and i thought why are you coming up here <laughs> with a pint so in the next show i said please keep your bags please keep your drinks yeah. and what happens is i used to stand over the right hand side of the stage and the, the stairs were on the left i now stand on the left so that if anything comes up i say just leave your drink, drink there you yeah, get it yeah. at the end and it just made everything flow a lot nicer and at the start i say you're going to focus on the sound of my voice and the sound of my voice only everybody nod your head so now you've got everybody nodding. So if yeah. somebody's talking or whatnot, they stop talking, they focus on you because now you've got that herd mentality. Mm. I'm in control, you're listening to me. And that's and that's what you need, focus and concentration. Yeah. yeah. And you described earlier that if you were to tell a smoker to stop smoking, hypnotize a smoker to stop smoking, mm -hmm. it can last a lifetime. Yes. So can this last a lifetime if you don't break the... On stage or hypnotherapy? Hypnotherapy. Hypnotherapy, absolutely. Yeah. Because we are we are already hypnotized as you say mm. missing your exit driving down the motorway how do you miss it it's 15 foots you've been able to visualize your ice cream have you ever read down a piece of information got to the bottom of the page and not remembered what you've just read again where's your conscious mind then so your conscious mm. mind comes in and out roughly about i think the average is seven to ten times a day the average person goes into a translate state mm. uh so we all have the ability to do this but for hypnotherapy yeah it's but the, again the suggestions i'm given are positive behaviors for you to then take on and mm. the beauty about everything that i do is it's not me that's the magical person in this it's them i like to look at myself as a guide yep. i'm guiding you to find your unknown potential because mm. we all have you've heard of mind over matter right and you might physically be tired, but if you mentally push yourself, you can go an extra 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very much like hypnotherapy. So a lot of people, when I'm taking on clients, so for example, you have client A who loves smoking, doesn't, thinks he probably should give it up, but his wife booked the appointment. She said, you're, you're going to do this. Yeah. Then you've got client B who's just had a heart attack, hates the smell, hates the taste, hates everything about smoking, but just can't break the habit. Who am I going to take? client b because mm. client a's mindset doesn't want to stop yeah. so if you're not already in the mindset of wanting to stop you need to be 50 60 70 percent of the way there and just need the support and then what hypnotherapy does and with the psychological reaching into your subconscious mind is it gives you that extra bit of support motivation and confidence so what i do is i then basically how it would work is i take a memory where they felt really in control really motivated really happy 
and we now attach that to a physical anchor like squeezing your hand so every time you resist a cigarette instead of wanting a cigarette you now feel that amazing feeling that you felt in that past memory mm. combine that with positive reinforcement of what a difference you're going to be able to do spend more time with your kids be more active whatever it may be that now gives that person the motivation to continue on what they already started was a path of quitting and not smoking but all i'm doing is helping them realize the motivation that they didn't know they had okay and kind how, of getting it kind, and of, kind of, it. of getting it and how would you you describe this process of um obviously going through some, some, some trauma in your own life but then hypnotizing yourself yeah so all hypnosis is self-hypnosis and that's what i was talking about with it's not me that does the magic it's you mm. so so if someone someone say someone's watching this and they're sitting at home mm-hmm. and that they are having a tough time <clears throat> whatever aspect of life because life's tough yep um how would you what guidance would you give them to help themselves like you were helped out mm-hmm. would it be look at the mirror and repeat something or yeah so there's, there's a couple of things so subliminal messages a really good one we use this in kind of corporate world so for example say you forgot to take the bins out on a wednesday mm-hmm. so if you take a recording of yourself and say i will take the bins out on wednesday and you put it into your car and you play that don't pay any attention to it just put it at low volume put it into your car now most people drive anywhere between 20 to 40 minutes to work every day so if you're driving to work and driving home, that's 40 to over an hour and a half of complete repeat messaging of, I must take the bins out on this day. Mm. Now, if you do that for three weeks, you will automatically start doing it. Advertising in supermarkets pay millions on subliminal messaging marketing. Have you ever been sitting in the house and you have a song stuck in your head? Yeah. Most likely because it's been on the radio. Have you ever been sitting at one in the morning and think, do you know what? I need a Chicago town pizza in my life. That's exactly <laughs> what I need. You might have seen an advert four to five times. When you go into the supermarket, the way things are positioned and stuff, they're made to look attractive. So you can actually subliminal message and market your own self. Yeah. Now, because it all stems from a thought creates a feeling and a feeling creates a behavior. So if you think you're anxious, you're going to start to feel anxious and sweat. So you might stop yourself from going over the door. Mm. If you change that thought process of, I don't think I'm anxious, then you're going to stop sweating and then you'll, you'll actually start doing the things you stopped yourself from doing. Mm. Now, it doesn't matter if you change one of those things. It doesn't matter if you change the behavior. That changes the thought and the feeling. It's almost like fire. It doesn't matter. So if you change the feeling, you change the thought and the behavior. If you change the thought, you change the feeling and the behavior. All these things happen. So I think I'm cold. I'm going to put on a jacket. If you think you're warm, you'll start to feel warm. You will not put on a jacket. You know, it's, it's these wee things we tell ourselves that how it all works. So subliminal messaging is one. The other thing is dive onto YouTube. Somebody like me, who's a hypnotherapist, we often have MP3s for stop smoking, anxiety, um, success in exams, lots of different topics. Go to bed, put it on every night for a month, see how it goes. You know. Another thing is have a one-to-one session with a hypnotherapist mm. because they'll personalise exactly what it is for your goals. But what I do with my clients is, and I can't speak for all hypnotherapists, but when I have a client, I, you shouldn't be with me for years. Mm. I should be coming in, helping you define your potential and then giving you the tools to go away. And this is what I found was really successful for me in the corporate world because <clears throat> I've seen a lot of motivational speakers who had maybe climbed Everest or made this amount of money or, or whatever it may be. And I would come back from the presentation thinking, you're amazing, mm. but how does that help me? I just now a wee bit jealous because you're so successful. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to create 
a keynote speech where it was interactive with the audience. So I would tell a little bit about my story, relate it back to the company's goals and whatever it was. Mm. Then what I would do is I'd physically get people up to say, okay, well, thought creates a feeling, a feeling creates a behavior. Let's change one of them and see what happens to see if what I'm talking about makes sense. So if you think your arm is really stiff and rigid, then your arm can't move using hypnosis. Let's change the image or the visualization in your mind. Let's imagine it was loose, limp, totally relaxed. And it yep. goes like that. That's how the behavior goes. Now, how good would it be if you could take that and apply it to your own life? And then what I do is I leave everybody with a self-help toolkit so they don't need me. Mm. They can start doing exactly what I've spoke about on stage in their personal and their work life from the minute I leave that day. And that was the, the different aspect where I'll come in and show you the techniques you need to know and then you go away and implement them. You don't need me to come back and week in, week out and all the rest of it, if that makes sense. Before we move on to the next part of this podcast, the part where I think I might have got manipulated by Fraser. I'm not really sure, but I think I think I probably did. We need to ask you for a favor. If you could hit that subscribe button, that like button, whatever it is, wherever you are, it would really be appreciated by the Into the Mind team here in the studio. You guys are what makes this channel tick and we've got really high ambitions to get brilliant guests in and give you the best experience possible. So if you could hit that subscribe button, whatever it is, I'd really appreciate it. We spoke off camera there about yep. a pretty interesting thing to do with kind of analyzing expressions and analyzing yes. micro expressions and kind of reading people. Almost. Yes. And it, it kind of brought me on to the fact of, of the kind of, listen, FBI, I'm not American, but uh, FBI, police, is that any kind of is there any kind of work that you could do around them? It yeah, um, my mentor actually was a detective um, in London before he moved to America and started to do what he do. And a lot of the techniques on kind of people profiling and looking for microfilament movements, it's very it's no secret that people know that when people glance up to the left, they might be lying, or if you cross mm. your arms, you're reserved. It's all these different things that you pick up that years and years ago. Um, before lie detector tests that the FBI and stuff would use. And I'm not in that field of work, but I dare say that there's surely some of it being used today. I know a lot of mentalists who have been called in to ask for help from different services, private security services and whatnot, but it's it's not ethical to, to do it in that mm. aspect. Um, I certainly say that but <laughs> yeah. no no i would not no i would not <laughs> yeah. um but the, yeah mentalism is not so much the story i'm going to be telling you but i mentioned earlier yeah. on the story you're going to be telling yourself and it's with communication it's it can be interpreted in so many different ways and how one person can perceive a comment or a phrase or a tone or a sound can be completely different to the next person mm. and that's what makes us all individuals there's roughly 7.9 billion people in the world of those 7.9 billion people in the world the odds of us being born is one in 300,000 now for that to happen you need a thousand of sperm cells from your father to connect with the eggs from your mother and the odds of that happening is one in 300,000 for a positive chance so us all being born and us all having this conversation and sitting here today is really, when you think about it, an absolute miracle. Mm. And when people are looking at themselves and they have anxiety and they have doubt and they have depression, or they look in the mirror and they think I'm a little bit fat or I don't like how I look, just remember that 
we are all miracles. And when you strip it away, and this is where the sense of, of those one in 300,000 people that were born, it's actually one in 40,000 people that have albinism like me. And that's where I tend to find I have a deeper connection with people. And what I like to do throughout the shows and throughout any sort of situation I'm in is try and connect with somebody. I always want to make a connection or a, a memorable memory that I can take with me for a lifetime and that mm. hopefully is for the positive for me and for them. Um, and that's what I'd like to do with you today because we are all different on the outside but we are all connected and I wanted to try that with you today if you'd like to. You've got me nervous. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Nervous. Don't be nervous. So we, if you ever gambled, Hey, when I was pretty drunk, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. fantastic. What what did you used to play? Uh, it was normally, what's the roulette table? It's roulette table. Roulette, okay. yeah. So you've got red and you've got black. It's a 50-50 chance, yeah. right? What about gambling with something that means something personal to you? Would that up the stakes or is money enough? Uh, it would up the stakes, yeah, because it's sentimental attachment. Yeah, how about gambling but with a complete stranger? Would you trust a complete stranger? <laughs> probably not yeah because we all have doubts so what happens is your safety barrier goes up your fight or flight yeah. system and you start to protect yourself but what if we all stepped out of our comfort zones in business in life in relationships the best things happen when you give up a little bit of control mm. and you make yourself a little bit vulnerable and you put yourself out there because if you always keep yourself reserved you're never going to connect so what about if you just Lower that gate, don't take it away, but lower that gate and put a little bit of trust in humanity and a little bit of trust in connections and see how that does for you. Okay. You want to do it? I, I asked you to bring along an item with you today. Do you, want to, do you want to bring that item and tell me a little bit about that because that's going to be important. So this is, I'll, I'll show it to the camera. So this is uh, my Amiga watch. So for those listening, it's a Amiga Seamaster white dial. When I first got into properly doing watch reviews for chisholm hunter who are the sponsors of the podcast um this was the watch that i got it's very important to me it's probably it's been with me through everything in the last three to four years and that's really when my videography and photography career expanded. fantastic excellent and when you're talking about that watch what what kind of feelings come to mind how does it make you feel i think it makes me feel quite warm because amiga has a has a connection with James Bond mm -hmm. and I used to watch James Bond with my dad. So subsequently this Amiga represents my dad a little bit. Sure. Um, Excellent. And that's kind of, yeah. And that's a memory that's tight and is probably not known to a lot of people, probably just personally to you. Mm -hmm. How would you feel if I asked to hold your watch? I'd be okay. You'd be okay. <laughs> How would you feel if I put on your watch? I, I'd be okay. Okay. How would you feel if I put on your watch and walked out the door? I'd be nervous. Why? <laughs> because you might not come back. <laughs> because you might not come back. So it comes to that trust element. Yeah. So again, we talk about these barriers and whether we're willing to let go and trust people and let people in. Mm. And as you say, everything comes with risks and life and positives and negatives. But it's weighing these up to think about, well, am I ready to take that next step? Mm. So I'm going to hand you back your watch or I might just keep it just now while you grab that glass over there for me. If you grab that, yep, grab it over, bring it over. Can we see that in the camera? Excellent. And just stick that on the table. Okay, for those listeners out there, it's like a wine, kind of like a gin glass? Like a, yeah, like a gin balloon glass or a big 
or a Saturday night wine glass for all those mothers out there. Um, I'm going to hand you back your watch so you can stop sweating. Okay. But what I want you to do is I want you to place it on the table and I want you to place it right in front of you so that you can see, so it can keep you keep reminding you, remind you of that moment, remind you of your dad. And you said it was your kind of first big break or your first big sale and it reminds you of your dad. So I want you to tune into that. I want you to think of your dad while we're doing this. And you'll notice I brought along with me a safe box. So you'll be quite happy to know that jewellery, ends up in safe boxes, yeah. okay? But what we're going to do is we're almost going to play a game like the casino, okay? You're going to have two chances, <laughs> two chances to open up this safe box. Okay. Okay? So you can see we've got three gold keys. So for those listening at home, we have a, a black safe box, just a regular safe box with... Uh, a key and it's completely locked and I locked it before we came and there's one master key and in front of the safe box there's three gold keys okay. and only one is the master key okay what one do you believe or what one feels right to you to be the master key just uh, uh, anyone uh, pick one up okay uh, now for all those listening at home I want you to look at the keys and make sure there's no those keys are all the same keys that they don't look different in any way shape or form there's no Anything all like that. exactly the same perfect gold and you'll, you'll pick it up you feel it's a key <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. okay so um, what key feels right to you so we'll just call them we'll start from this and we'll go one two three so I picked up key number two key number two the middle okay and why did you feel that key was right I don't know okay try open the safe box put it in oh it wasn't right okay discard that key put it in the glass Thank you. So okay. The key wasn't right. I put it. I put it in the glass. <laughs> Didn't match. Doesn't open it. Remember, there's one master key. Which key feels right now? So I've gone furthest left. Question number uh, key number one. Key Why number key one. number one? Um, so it's, it's the furthest key away from you. So you had to you had to reach to go over and see it. Why key number one? I don't know. I just don't like the <laughs> the one. Don't, the key don't like three. key number three. What, what if key number three is is the right key and key number one isn't? I still think that key number one's the right key. Okay. Ah, oh, so close. <laughs> key number one was not the key. Okay, try key number three for me. What's happening there? So key number three is not opening it either. So none of the keys are opening. So none of the keys. I actually have the master key in my pocket, which is why you should never believe a mentalist, and which is why you should never leave... <laughs> your guard down put that key in and you see this is similar but this is the only master key that opens that box if you want to just put that in and open the box for me okay and just keep the box open once it's open there we go opens the box fantastic okay. what i'd like you to do now is i'd like you to place your watch into the box and i want you to lock the box and i'd like you to place the master key in with the other keys Yep, now take it out, place it in with the other keys. Okay, so we now have four keys in the glass. We now have one of those four keys that open the box. Yeah. And I was speaking about trust earlier on in connection, and I was speaking about how I believe we're all connected. Yeah. Not on a conscious level, but on a subconscious level, and that's what we're going to try and experiment with today. You have probably agreed one of the most valuable items personally and financially to you in that safe box mm -hmm. and as we know there's no spare key all the keys in that box 
uh, sorry, all the keys in that glass, one of them opens a box. Yeah. So there's a one in four chance. And actually in the UK, there's a one in four chance that men will think about suicide, which is really important. It's, it's really important how we process things and how we think about things because what really matters is not so much the stories that people tell us, but the stories we tell ourselves. And it's what leads from hearing around you in the same when I got bullied that it was the noise or the stories that you hear around you that took over my mind. So when I was taken back over control, it wasn't the stories that people told me, but the stories I told myself that helped me change my life to where I am today. Mm. But when you start to understand that the only thing in life guaranteed is that the sun will rise and the sun will set, you stop listening to all the noise, you stop listening to all the distractions. And when you do that, you can actually connect and relax with people a lot more. So I have a blindfold here and I want you to check out that blindfold to make sure it is a normal blindfold and that you can't see anything else through it. It looks legit. And I have some bandages here and some plasters. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to open up this little purse. We're going to put it on the table and you'll see there's some scissors in there. And what I'd like you, if we could have, when the producers come in, I don't want to just wear the blindfold because people say that you could look down the blindfold. So I actually want one of you to wrap all my eyes up in these bandages. I then want you to put the plasters over my eyes. I then want you to put the blindfold <laughs> over them so that I can completely see nothing okay can we do that okay Drew, okay. you'll be able to help here let's do that so blindfold so we'll do bandages first yep around I'll the eyes close my eyes and you can just wrap me up <laughs> and i want to do this all on camera so nobody knows that there's there's anything that they can't see anything at all i might take a wee behind the scenes photo of this <laughs> yep <laughs> not a problem just once round over nope do it as many times as you want okay yep you can do it right over my nose <laughs> do it right over my nose and everything it's not a problem I don't want to see up, don't want to see down. And then you'll do the plasters on that next to stick it down and then... Yep, you can, <laughs> yep, you can put the plasters right over my eyes. Make sure you get it right over my nose so that I can't, okay. there's no Is gaps. It? Okay. <laughs> That's my good side. <laughs> there we go. Again, I want you to put it right over my oh, nose yeah. oh, down here yeah. because... You think okay, try stretch it a little bit, yeah. yeah. Well, what you can do is you can put the plasters in here if you want and to lock them down or that. all the way over my yeah. eyes to lock them down. My eyes are closed right now because it's tight, okay. But so that's you. So, with yeah, the bandage again, you can either tie it or you can tuck it in, whatever you want to do. It's just so that there's another layer, all right. Let's have a look. And what I do as well is I don't want to touch anything, but what you can do is if you want to, you can pull the bandages down so that you can make sure there's no gap underneath or at the top for that matter. There's plaster. So, where would you? like the plasters to go i want you to make all the choices today i think yeah as you were saying sort of there where the yeah. eyes are do you want to try one yeah you want to do it? yeah i think so let's do it you do it oh, do you want me to do it yeah okay. absolutely right, yeah. Right, for, for those listeners there i'm getting up just to put this plaster over the eyes <laughs> so we have a safe box with a slot in it and what's going to happen is we have the keys inside the wine glass and you're going to pick up the wine glass. You're going to shake the wine glass around so that the keys make a noise. Mm. You're going to place the wine glass back down and you're going to pick one key out of it. Once you have the key, you're going to say, I have the key. That's all you're going to say. And from there, blindfolded, 
I will decide whether I believe that is the master key or not the master key. If I believe it's not the master key, you're going to discard that key into the safe box, locking it inside forever with your prized possession. This has a one in four chance of going wrong. It's important to mention that there's been no preset up mm. and that this has actually gone wrong before. But <laughs> we talked about connection, we talked about trust and we talked about belief. I want you to believe when you feel it's right that you have the master key in your hand. You might not know why, you might not know how, but I want you to guide me and for us to connect for this to work. Does that make sense? Yes. So while we're doing this, if I can just ask that if everybody else in the room can stay as quiet as possible because it's so important that I listen to your tone, exactly what you're saying, and the keys wiggling around in the glass. Now remember, when you pick up the key, it will be in your hand. I will have no noise to go off of, so I need to make the decision in a split second. Okay. Let's begin. Okay, so pick up the glass, and I'm shooting it around. And do you want me to put it down again? Down on the table and pick one key out of it. I have the key. Um, I don't believe that's a key. Discard it into the slot. One down, three to go. So I'll sugar it again. Yep. So I'm sugaring the glass. I'm putting it down. I have the key. What makes you believe this is a key? don't know <laughs> what what how do you feel in this moment right now nervous good so nervous often comes with responsibility responsibility obviously means there's a fact that that might be a prized possession prized possession might believe that that might be the must i don't believe that's the master key discard it okay okay so there's two I'm, left two left I have the key. Okay. First one was confident. Second one, nervousness. This one, almost motivation that the term it's not, but sometimes with body language or a person's tone, you can sometimes be overconfident and be compensating for something else. Uh, I want 50-50 chance. Um discard the key no wait 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 don't where's your hand they're both on it on the key what do you think i think this could be the key <laughs> discard the key no <laughs> yes yes yep no uh, um <sighs> difficult a lot to how much was that watch worth? Can you remember? Do you mind disclosing? Just give me a sense of how much it means or... Oh, I don't want to get it wrong, but... What's your initial thoughts? 
I, I've got I, I, nervous, but I think this might be the key. <laughs> you think it might be, might be the master key? It might be the master uh, key. You have that in your hand and your heart. Yeah. <laughs> Stick it down on the table. But in life, we often get blinded by the comforts that we're in, which can often lead us to perceptions that might be false and stop us from achievement. If I was to say to you it was a 50-50 chance, but now I'm trying to tell you that possibly there might be an incline to change your mind that puts it to a one in three chance, which then puts the doubt into your mind that there never was doubt before. But now that you might think my opinion might value over yours, you can't actually take responsibility for your own opinion, which leads you to then want to change it. But I don't want you to change it if you're confident in it. What do you think? I think I should change it now. <laughs> you think you should change it? Yeah. Okay, take, take the other key out. Of the glass? Yep. And you feel that's the right key. You feel like you changed your mind. You, you were so passionate about the other key before, but you, you, you feel this one is the right key. I feel this one is the right key now. But are you saying that because the last time you, you felt it and then it changed in the perception, that's what happens when you listen to noise and you let in the voices and the voices tell you these false illusions that don't actually exist because it's only in your own mind. But what actually is you're trying to see is often the truth is in what feels right for us and is right in front of our very eyes. So I'm going to ask you one more time. What key do you think the key you had or the last key and change your mind? I think it's the key I had. <laughs> but you want to change your mind? Yeah. So why have you changed it now back? I don't want to influence you. I just want to give you all the aspects and precision because I don't want to make this decision. I want you to make this decision. And if this goes right, it means the connection I was speaking about is true. And we can all connect, even when you briefly know somebody. But I don't want to influence you, but I don't want you to make the wrong mistake either. It's, it's, um, okay, final word. What, what's, what's your gut saying? What's your heart saying? Or what feels right to you? The one that's in my hand at the moment. And what one's that? Not the one that's on the table. <laughs> the last one. Okay. Take the one in the table and put it in the slot. But before you do... You were feeling that that was the right key until we started chatting and now you changed your mind. Has that influenced your mind or do you want to... I'm thinking that if you don't go with the first key, then you might be wrong. But I don't want to influence your decision and I want you to stand by your decision if that's what you want. But I'm telling you that in my gut feeling is if you don't think you use that key, you might be wrong. And if it's wrong, there's generally nothing I can do to get that back. I'm going to ask you one more time and you're going to tell me key one or key two is the key. Do you understand? Yeah. Which is the master key? One. Put key two into the box. If that's the one, is that the one you want? Key one, is that right? Yeah. Put it into the box, slot it away. Holding that key, can we take off this blindfold now? Can you just cut me out of this so that I can see <laughs> for this last bit? There's scissors for you. Oh. oh okay <laughs> wow oh it's bright okay so we had four keys and then we're left to one 
and I was listening to what felt right and being guided by my intuition to start with and then I wanted to pass that intuition to you and if this works then the process or the experiment of that we can all connect is right and then if this horribly goes wrong then I'm very very sorry <laughs> are you ready yeah open the box one in four chance very expensive watch Amazing, give himself a round of applause. Well, well done. done, thank no, you no. very, very much. He's sweated, I can feel yeah, your hands. He's sweating. my clammy hands. That is for you. And you can see the keys have generally fell in there. There's no yeah. anything else. You can have that back. Very well done. Thank you very, very much. So how did you do that? Was it sound? That is, so for me, listening for the keys, obviously you can see the keys are all the same. Yeah. I'm listening to a brief frequency pattern. And the way you pick up a key and how it slides up the glass gives me a brief milliscule indication of how somebody takes something out. You know, you might not know it, but mm. subconsciously your brain remembers where the master key was. Whereas for me, I've got no idea because I'm blindfolded. So mm. I'm relying on your intuition for the way you pick up the keys to give me a signal of which key you've got, which is why sometimes it goes wrong. <laughs> but then what I wanted to do was to install that intuition and belief into you and trust through connection and communication by that time you have no idea which key is what right so you're only going on what feels right mm. and the lesson to be learned for this is that we are all connected and follow what you feel is right and in life you will succeed that was amazing very well done well, thank you very much thank you let me know where, when have you got shows coming up what, what's the yeah so we have just finished uh, 13 nights at the Edinburgh Fringe with multiple sellouts which was awesome mm. so I have my very first UK theatre tour coming up in three weeks time in Scotland headlining in Scotland so at the Reconnect Regal Theatre on October 28th Halloween weekend Ooh. <laughs> um, so this will be my very first ever theatre show in the UK and it is that very much um, Darren Brown style show where it's got the, the mind reading some amazing predictions with an unbelievable heartfelt story thrown in um, and of course people will be getting hypnotised and experiencing real life virtual reality so there's going to be lots of laughs lots of comedy and amazing mind blowing mind reading um, on the night and it's suitable for all for all ages which is cool so there's no no nudity, no swearing, no <laughs> nothing like that so you can bring the family So we have that and then uh, after that, we have another show um, from a company that's picked me up for a private event. And then going into next year, we're away down to Largs and Somersets to some beautiful theatres coming up. So that's what's going on. But if, you, uh, if you're if you in Scotland or you're in Bathgate or Glasgow or Edinburgh, then uh, please come get tickets because it's it's been my dream to sell at a theatre. So if that is your gift to me, then thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. And listen, I want to thank you for your openness, your honesty. And, uh, and also giving me my, me my watch back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was a little bit nervous at some points. <laughs> um, thank you so much for having me. I think what you guys are doing, both with the family business and the podcast, is absolutely amazing. And I feel really privileged to be on here today and, and be sitting in this chair and speaking to you. So thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, mate. Thank you guys so much for watching this episode of the Into the Mind podcast with me, your host, Harrison. Remember that Fraser will have a gig coming up depending on when you're watching this podcast so look up Fraser's schedule he is incredible he didn't lie about what he did to me I genuinely just was manipulated in such a way that I picked the word it's so strange but honestly this stuff works it is 
an amazing thing to see and he is an incredible talent so make sure you check him out thank you guys so much for watching again and i'll see you next time